Good morning, and welcome to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. We are broadcasting live on Saturday, June 11th in Chicago. My name is David Canfield, and I'll be the host for this time. You can reach us online, visit us online at our website, thechristianfaith.org. And if you'd like to send us uh, an email, uh, if you have questions or comments about what you hear on the program or about the Christian faith in general, you can do that uh, via our email address, which is questions at thechristianfaith.org. And we're so happy to have you with us this morning. Praise the Lord. I just want to begin with a little prayer because we have quite a... Uh, the, the topic we're covering this morning is... is uh, uh, it really takes the Lord's... Uh, help to really cover something like this topic. So, Father, we just thank you for this time. We just give this time to you. We hide under the prevailing blood. We hide in the name of your dear son. We just ask you for the utterance and uh, the wisdom how to present this topic to your children. It could be such a blessing for your sake and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Shame the enemy. Build your church, Lord. Amen. Amen. So the topic we're going to be talking about this morning is transformation. Uh, as, as we've said, we're, in this program, we really want to focus on what the New Testament shows us about the Bible and about the Christian life and how we should live our lives as, as Christians. We're not so much interested in, in uh, practical affairs like how to uh, have a good life, how to take care of my family and uh, uh, other situations in my life. That, there's a lot of programs that are doing that type of thing. We want to focus on what does the Bible show us about the, the uh um, the Christian life, how to follow Christ, what it means to be a follower of, of the Lord today. And so we want to talk about this matter of transformation, which is a very, very crucial topic in the New Testament, which not a lot of believers have a lot of familiarity with or a lot of even much of a concept about what is transformation. And we started to talk about this last week, uh, but because this is such a, a, a great topic in the New Testament, very profound topic, we want to take more time to develop that. And so as I was getting into this and preparing uh, for this program, I was considering what's the best way to present this topic. And I think to begin with, we need to consider just, okay, what does transformation look like? What are some examples of transformation? I think that might help, help people to understand what transformation is before we try to get into really define that term itself. And in the New Testament, Really, uh, the best example that you see of transformation is in the life of the Apostle Peter. And it's really something. The Lord just gives us such a good example all through the New Testament of this one brother who really experienced transformation. And, of course, he didn't start out as Peter. He started out as Simon. Uh, in John chapter 1, his brother Andrew brings him to the Lord, and uh, the Lord sees him. The first thing he says to him is, You are Simon, son of John. You should be called Peter which uh, Cephas, which translated uh, is Peter. And of course, that word Peter means a stone. And the Lord is saying at the very beginning, from the very first time he saw Peter, he's saying, I'm going to change your name. What he's really saying is, I'm going to make you a different person from what you are today. That's what transformation does. It makes us a very different person from who we are in ourselves. We're still us. Uh, we don't disappear, but we've been transformed into something that we could never be on our own. And that's what you see in the life of the Apostle Peter. And so he begins to follow the Lord. And, of course, he goes through a lot of experiences. And uh, 
a lot of difficult experiences. He gets into trouble a lot, Peter does. He's very bold, very self-confident, full of self-trust. But he loves the Lord, and he wants to follow him, and he wants to serve him. And the Lord has to keep adjusting him in, uh, in, in different instances and rebuking him sometimes. Uh, but then they come to Caesarea Philippi, and the Lord asks the disciples, who do, who do men say that I am? And they say, well, you, they say you're John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets. And then he says, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter uh, makes his, his, his bold, his magnificent declaration, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Matthew 16, 16. And the Lord says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in the heavens. And I tell you, our Christian life begins with this revelation of who Christ really is. We need to see a vision of Christ. We need to ask the Father to show us who Christ is because so many people today say he's just another man. Some say he's a prophet. But to see who Christ really is, we have to have a revelation from the Father just like Peter did. That's when our Christian life really begins. So right after that, the Lord goes on and he says to Peter, I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So the father had revealed something to Peter. He said, he showed Peter that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. But the Lord added something to what the father had revealed to Peter. He said, yes, that's right. I'm the Christ, the son of the living God. But now I'm going to, he showed you who I am. Now I'm going to show you who you are. You're not going to be Simon anymore. You're going to become Peter, a stone for God's building. That's what the word Peter named, the word Peter means. It means a stone. You're going to be a stone for my building. It's interesting, when he sees Peter in uh, John chapter 1, he says, you will be called Peter. But here he says, you are Peter. He's not just calling him Peter anymore. He couldn't say yet, you are Peter in John chapter 1 because he didn't have any experience yet of transformation. But here, because he had something of the revelation of Christ, Peter had begun to enter into this experience of transformation. So he says, you are Peter. You're a stone for my building. So that was the beginning really where, where Peter really began to touch something of this matter of transformation. Uh, and of course, he still gets into a lot of troubles in the Gospels. He wasn't, a transformation doesn't happen all at once. It's a lifelong process. And you see this, this is what you see in Peter's life. He goes through the Gospels. And of course, at the end of the Gospels, he has that experience where he denies the Lord uh, three times. And of course, he's so ashamed of himself after that. And at that point, he realized he couldn't trust in himself. He couldn't depend on himself anymore. And to be honest, we all have to go through this kind, some kind of experience that helps us to realize in our own strength, we can never be what the Lord wants us to be, what he wants to make us. It's our strength, frankly, in following the Lord, like it was in Peter's case. It's very often the biggest frustration. It's not our weakness that frustrates the Lord. It's our strength. We think we can do this. We can think we can do that. Our self-dependence, um, that has to be dealt with, broken. And then we come, then we depend on the Lord. And then we, that's when we really enter into a further experience of transformation of the Lord, uh, Lord's work in our life. And so, of course, Peter gets restored uh, by the Lord after that happens. Uh, he brings him back. And then you come to the book of Acts, and, uh, and that's where you really begin to see a different Peter. Uh, he rises up. Even in chapter 1, he's uh, counseling the saints, leading the saints as far as uh, how to go on with the, with the Lord. He stands up and gives that word about how to replace uh, Judas. Then in chapter 2, of course, you have that mighty outpouring of the Spirit and that great preaching of the gospel. And especially in the first chapters of Acts, you really see a, 
a powerful prevailing Peter, but you realize there's just something different about this man than there was when he, the Lord first met him because of the Lord's work of transformation that had taken place in this brother. And it's, I think especially maybe when you come to the epistles, which he wrote very late in his life, first and second Peter, when you read these epistles, you're touching Peter. You still see that boldness, the bold declarations, that, that, the following of Christ. So it's still Peter. But when you read these epistles, you realize I'm touching something of God in these epistles. It's not just Peter anymore. Now I'm really touching something divine. And that's what transformation really is. It's when we touch the divine nature and that divine nature gets added into our being. That's what Peter, he says in, in, in 2 Peter 1.4, he says, we need to be partakers of the divine nature. And that's what transformation really is. And we're going to try to we'll flesh this out as we go on. But trans, real transformation means the divine nature is being imparted into my being to make me something different from what I was before. And you just see that so much in Peter. Yes, he's still Peter. He's still a human being. But there's just something divine in him now that he didn't have before. And, of course, at the end of the Bible, that's really the, the consummation of the Lord's transforming work in Peter. In uh, Revelation 2, or 21, 14... Uh, uh, the Apostle John sees the uh, holy city coming down out of, the, uh, out of heaven, and he says, The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And, of course, one of those 12 apostles of the Lamb is Peter. So his name is on the foundations, the foundation stones of the New Jerusalem. And, of course, this is symbolic. It indicates what the Lord had said to Peter the first time he saw him. He said, I'm going to make you a stone. Peter, you're going to be Peter. That's fulfilled ultimately in the book of Revelation in the New Jerusalem with Peter's name is written on the foundation stones of that holy city. So that, so that, like I say, is really the best example of transformation in the whole New Testament. But what's another uh, uh, thing that makes this so significant is Peter makes it clear this experience of transformation is not just for him. He, he points out to us all the believers need to go through this process of transformation. And that's what makes it uh, uh, so significant that Peter is really the primary example in the New Testament of transformation. Because he tells us in his first epistle, this is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, coming to him, that is coming to Christ, a living stone, rejected by men, but with God chosen and precious, you yourselves also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house into a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So here Peter says, okay, I'm a stone. The Lord told me I'm a stone. Now I, I want to let you know you're a stone too. You need to be stones too for God's building. And how does that happen? In verse four, it happens as we come to Christ. How did Peter become a stone for God's building. He came to Christ. In John chapter 1, all through the Gospels, you see the Lord dealing with him, uh, and eventually in resurrection in Acts, uh, serving the Lord. That's how we become stones for God's building too. It's by coming directly to Christ and allowing him to deal with who we are. That's the only way to be transformed into a stone for God's building. So just as Peter is the best example in the New Testament of transformation, He's saying you also need to have the same experience of transformation as you follow Christ to become a stone for his, God's building. So that's a wonderful example uh, to, to try to just show, before we get into the, the specifics of the word, what, the, uh, what transformation really looks like. Uh, so so last, uh, last night we had a, a family get-together, get which is just a wonderful time. Shout out to uh, uh, our host and hostess there. Thanks so much. It was, just, it was a great time. 
And uh, uh, and I asked my brother uh, if he could bring a, a piece of a petrified wood that he has. And I was going to bring that with me this morning just to have it with me in the studio, but uh, it was just so heavy, I, I just eventually didn't do that. But uh, I waited. It's about five pounds. But petrified wood is another very good example of transformation. And uh, uh, it, I was just looking at how it happens. I, and I can't say I'm that clear on the process yet, but... You take a piece of wood, and if it's if it ends up in the right circumstance, and what I from what I saw, it may be in a very very moist soil with a lot of water. I thought I'd heard elsewhere, maybe it's in a in a flowing stream, but there has to be a lot of water involved because what happens is, the minerals that are in the water get imparted into the wood, and this this piece of petrified wood that I um, I got from my brother last night, it was, it's so heavy. I mean, it's not that big, it's so heavy and solid. It, it really has been transformed by that process of the water flowing through it and imparting the minerals into it. And that's a, it's a, just a tremendous example of, of transformation because if you have a regular piece of wood, uh, that's going to decay and rot after a few years. But petrified wood is not going to have that problem. That's going to last basically forever, right? The, uh, uh, because it's so solid now, because it's gone through that process of transformation. It's not just the wood anymore. Now it's had another element added into its being, the minerals. And, in, of course, in, in the New Testament, the, the divine nature, throughout the Bible, the divine nature is likened to gold. So when we say that uh, the divine nature is being imparted into our being, uh, figuratively speaking, we can say the gold of the divine nature is being imparted into our being. And just like the, uh, the wood becomes something so solid and so substantial when you have the minerals added to it, we become so solid and so substantial, spiritually speaking, as a divine nature is added into our being. So that's, again, another wonderful picture of transformation. And the last one to consider is, uh, we talked about this last week, is the matter of the caterpillar, because this brings out another aspect of transformation. Uh, you know, suppose you could talk to a caterpillar and, and, and you, you, you wanted to help this caterpillar to fly. So... You could talk to that caterpillar all you want. You could give it books. You could send it to school to try to teach this caterpillar how to fly. But it, it wouldn't matter. what Whatever you told that caterpillar to do, it could not fly. It's, a caterpillar is not capable of flying. But if you just let the caterpillar go through a metabolic process, it eats so much, this, this milkweed uh, Brother Joe was talking with us about last week, it, it, it just consumes constantly this uh, the milkweed. And then it goes into the uh, cocoon and it passes through the stage of the chrysalis. And then it comes out of that cocoon as a butterfly and then it's very natural for the, for the thing to fly. That's about all it can do. It just flies it. And of course, it's so beautiful. If it's a monarch butterfly or some other kind of butterfly, some of them just are just incredibly beautiful, of course. So, But that's because it's gone through this process of transformation. You know, as Christians, very often we're frustrated in our Christian life uh, because uh, we, we're trying to live the Christian life that we see in the New Testament apart from the Lord's transforming work. And the Lord has to help us realize that that's not possible. You can't do that. That's why you need me. That's why you have to come to me is so you can be transformed and begin to live the life that I want you to live uh, on the earth for my glory. Then it's a real glory to Christ because it's not us anymore by ourselves trying to do something to please God. That's man's religion. Man's religion always wants to try to improve us. 
uh, make us a better or a moral person. The, the Christian faith is something completely outside of that realm. The Christian faith has to do with the divine life working in our being to make us a different person. That's transformation. We could never do that on our own. Religion could never do that. Uh, but the Son of God who became a man who's imparting his life and nature into our being, he can do that, and he has done that for countless numbers of his believers over the centuries. So that's the reality of transformation. Just as the caterpillar can't fly, but when it becomes a, a butterfly, it has no problem flying. When we go through the process of transformation, then we're able to live the Christian life uh, that the Lord desired for us to live. So those are just some examples uh, of what transformation is. And uh, to try to help people give a, give a general idea of what we're talking about. Now, in the, in the next uh, segment, we're going to go on and we're going to see where transformation fits in in our uh, experience of salvation all the way until we're ready to meet the Lord. This program is being brought to you in connection with our website, thechristianfaith.org to help address the need for a healthy word of ministry among God's children today. In the Old Testament, the Lord tells us through the prophet Hosea, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Our prayer is that the Lord, by his mercy, may use the ChristianFaith.org website and the Christian Faith Radio Hour to help believers in Christ grow in their knowledge both of our Savior and of our faith in him, so that we may stand more firmly for the Lord and for his purpose in these dark times. Visit us online for articles on the Bible and the Christian life and to sign up for our e-letter dealing with various biblical topics. To listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website or directly on iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions or comments about what you've heard on the Christian Faith Radio Hour or on our website or about the Christian faith in general, send us a note at questions at thechristianfaith.org. So welcome back to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. So now we want to see where transformation fits in to the whole uh, scheme of salvation in the New Testament. And as, as we said last week, the New Testament shows us six basic steps that we pass through in our experience of salvation until we're fully ready to meet the Lord. And uh, transformation is one of those steps. And we call these the, the shun words, just like salvation is a shun word, salvation. So there's justification, regeneration, sanctification, transformation, glorification, and confirmation. These are the shun words. Now, there's another word, too, we're not going to touch on this week. There's reconciliation, which is also quite important. But that's not so much uh, a defined step in the New Testament. It, it's more of an experience that we have. And so we're not going to be covering that this morning. We definitely want to get into that because it's quite important uh, for us to pass through the experience of reconciliation. But it's, it's not quite as well defined as these other steps. So we want to uh, focus on these uh, six steps. Now, these steps, there's, there's six of them. Uh, but it is interesting. When you add reconciliation, then there's seven altogether. When, of course, if, uh, if you know the Bible, seven is the number of completion uh, in God's administration in time. Twelve is the number of his completion 
uh, of his purpose in eternity. That's why the, the, in the New Jerusalem, it's all these 12 numbers, 12 foundations. The, the, the wall is uh, uh, 144 cubits high. Uh, there's all these 12 numbers related to the New Jerusalem. Uh, in time in Revelation, it's all sevens, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls. A lot of sevens relate to God's carrying out of his purpose in time. So seven is the number of God's completion of his purpose in time. And it's just interesting that there are these seven uh, steps of that we go through on the way to salvation. Just uh, I just was, was impressed with that. It's like there's a complete salvation, a complete process God brings us through. It seems like it was just, just pointing to that, I thought. So these, the six that we're talking about, though, these are, these are in three pairs. There's the first two. There's justification and regeneration at the beginning of our Christian life. And at the end of our Christian life, we have glorification and confirmation. And then in the middle, we have another pair, sanctification and transformation. So we just want to look at these, at these three different pairs. Uh, in a, in, in, and, of course, this, these are each of these. You could spend a lot of time on each of these, but uh, we'll just be looking at them very briefly. Like we say, just to give some context for, for where transformation fits in in uh, our experience of, of salvation. So our, our experience of salvation begins with justification. Uh, and people argue about this a lot. What is justification? How are we justified? It's, it's, it's a very important topic to consider how how can a person be considered righteous before God? That's what justification means. It means God considers me to be a righteous person. I'm not guilty of sin anymore. He considers me to be a righteous person. Well, uh, in Romans 3, uh, verse 24, the Apostle Paul says, uh, we are justified freely by God's grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And we do need to have a very basic understanding of what's going on here. He says we're justified through the redemption. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, he paid the price for our sins to redeem us from our sins and from uh, the uh, penalty we had incurred by violating God's law. That, that payment is called redemption. That's the redemptive work of Christ. The question is, how does that payment get applied to my account of sin? Well, uh, in verse 24, Paul says, we are justified through the redemption. And then in verse 28, he goes on to say, and says, we account that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So justification in this sense has uh, nothing to do with the works of the law. And I, okay, I have to have a little parenthesis here. With these six um, aspects of salvation that we're talking about, you can look at them in different ways. We're looking at them in a very objective way. Now, you can look at them from the side of our experience, and then it becomes much more mysterious, even justification. One reason why people get so confused about this matter is they don't realize justification has an objective aspect. That's what we're talking about here in Romans chapter 3, but it also has an aspect that relates to our experience. That's what James talks about in uh, James chapter 2. And he says there, you see that Abraham was... Uh, not justified by faith alone, but by works also. And the work and faith, his works and his faith uh, uh, work together for him to be fully justified. Well, that's talking about our experience of justification. So it doesn't contradict Romans, but it's a fuller picture of what justification is. And with a number of these uh, different uh, aspects of salvation, you can look at them in different ways. But right, what we're doing today is looking at them from the, from the objective standpoint. 
because then we can see more clearly what each of these one, uh, what each of these steps is in itself, and it's very important to have that basic understanding. So here in Romans chapter three, because Paul's talking about the objective once for all aspect of justification, he says, we account that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So when we exercise faith to believe in the redemptive work of Christ, that he died on the Christ for my sin, died on the cross for my sins, excuse me, God says, okay, I'm going to take that payment that he made, that redemptive payment, and I'm going to apply that to your account of sin and I'm going to wipe it away. And from now on, you are considered one who is righteous, who is just before me. That's what it means to be justified. And a good way to remember, remember that is that it's justified, never sinned. Because God, he, he's completely wiped that debt away. My, my payment, uh, the payment's been made for my debt of sin. The very good example is if you owe someone a lot of money, maybe they're coming after you for that money and they're going to take you to court and uh, you're going to really... Uh, you know, it used to be that they threw you into debtor's prison, right? Some, uh, not sure how you're supposed to get out, but but you had to make a payment. So he may be coming after you. But suppose somebody, somebody else, there's a wealthy person who says, uh, "Wait, I've got the money here. I'm going to write a check." He gives it to the guy. Here, his debt is paid in full. Now that guy loses whoever was coming after you for that debt has no more authority, no more position to, to uh, harm you in relation to that debt because your debt to him has been paid in full. And that's exactly what Christ did with our debt of sin. And if you haven't yet believed in Jesus as your Savior, if you haven't yet come to him and had that experience of having your sins forgiven, I urge you, we always want to take the opportunity, but since we don't know who's listening, we just urge you, open your heart to the Lord today. Confess to him, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I just confess that. And uh, I, I, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I want that payment applied to my account so my sins can be wiped away and I can be considered just before God, a just and righteous person. Forgive me, Jesus. Then you have the experience of justification. Praise the Lord. Okay, so that's uh, the first step that we go through in uh, salvation. The second step, and these are all pairs. They, they really go together. So the moment we're justified, uh, God... Uh, also regenerates us. That means he gives us his divine life. That's John uh, chapter 1, 12 and 13. As many as believe, to them he gave the authority to become children of God. So we're justified first God, because God won't give us his life. He won't put his life inside of us while we're, while we're sinners, while we're fallen, unclean sinners. It's a holy life. So he has to make us just first justified first, then he gives us his divine life. And that's what it means to be born again. That's regeneration, regenerated. We're born again with the divine life of God. And that both of these things happen uh, simultaneously and instantaneously, and they're both once for all experiences. We uh, are justified uh, and regenerated the moment we believe in Christ. And like I say, some people are... Uh, uh, come to God because they're convicted of being sinners. But some people come to God because they just sense they're empty. I just, I'm missing something. I know I'm not, I don't see what the purpose of my life is. So, uh, and that, that was more my case. Uh, I was looking for the real meaning of life, the purpose of life. Well, until the day comes when you open your heart to the Lord and, and say, Lord, I want you to be my savior and you receive this life into you, you really won't know what the real purpose of your life is. Because this is what God made us for. He made us so that we could become his children 
eventually the many sons of God. That's what God wants us to be. And he makes us his children and his sons by giving us his divine life. And again, that, that happens the moment we open our heart to the Lord. Our sins are forgiven. Praise the Lord for that. And then also he gives us his divine life. Praise the Lord. And we become a child of God. And I realize now I know what my life is all about. So again, I would say, open your heart to the Lord and take him as your savior. That's the beginning of the Christian life. So that's the first two steps in salvation. There's justification and regeneration. But that's the beginning. It's not the end. It's only the beginning of our Christian life. And I, I, uh, it seems like so many Christians today, they only know about these two steps uh, of, of, of the Christian life. They feel I'm forgiven uh, and I'm born anew. So now I'm just waiting, waiting for the Lord right, to go to heaven. Uh, so that's, uh, no, there's, there's so much work the Lord still needs to do in our being. Uh, so let's, we'll skip over the next two steps for now for sanctification and transformation. But that's what's, what's going on today, basically. But we'll come back to those. But the final two steps in salvation we see in Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 28, or sorry, rather 29 and 30. It says, uh, 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 Those whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, these he also called. And those whom he called, these he also justified. And those whom he justified, these he also glorified. So here we see confirmation and glorification. And, and again, these happen simultaneously just about. And you can, uh, when I mention them, I mentioned glorification first and then confirmation. It seems to me that's probably the right way to say it if we're, we're being very specific about the truth. That as the divine life permeates our whole being. That's what it means to be glorified. The divine life we received in our new birth permeates our whole being. That's glorification. That divine life now that came into us as a little seed that so many of us have uh, today, but nobody can see it today. But eventually, everyone will see it. It's going to come out. Second uh, uh, Thessalonians 1, I think it says, uh, Christ is coming to be glorified in his saints. Everybody's going to see. Wow. There was a divine glory in you. I never knew you even had that. Well, one day we will see it. Everybody's going to see it. And my understanding is that the, the glorification results in us being fully conformed to the image of Christ in glory today. He's already in glory. He's the glorified man. He's already passed through this process. So Romans uh, 8.29 says, We are predestined to be conformed to the image of the glorified Christ. And that's the final step in salvation. Again, some may say that glorification is... is uh, after, uh, it's, it may be hard to be a little bit too definite about that, but it seems to me the glorification results in our being conformed to the image of Christ. So that happens in the future, and that happens when the Lord comes back. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, uh, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty two, I think it is, the, we'll be, we, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed into the likeness of Christ. So that's in the future. That's also instantaneous. In the past, as believers in Christ, we were justified and regenerated. In the future, we're going to be glorified and conformed instantaneously. But now let's come back to what's going on today. Does that mean we're just waiting? And as I say, no, we should never have that thought because there's still these uh, two steps that we're going through today on our way to being glorified and conformed. And that's sanctification and transformation. Uh, these two, again, like the other pairs, these two are very closely related. Just like regeneration and uh, uh, justification and regeneration are related, so are sanctification and transformation. 
Uh, and these process, unlike these other pairs, the other pairs both happen instantaneously, just in a moment. But in contrast, sanctification and transformation are not instantaneous. They're not, they don't happen just in an instant. They happen all throughout the course of our Christian life. On the one side, we're being sanctified. On the other side, we're being transformed. So that's where transformation fits into the whole scheme of salvation. And we're focusing on this matter of transformation now because many Christians have very little concept of it. So, um, so that's, we just want to give the context of where transformation fits in. Now, sanctification, just to say a little bit about this, is in a sense it's negative. And I don't mean negative in the sense that it's bad, but sanctification is taking things away from us. It's separating us out from everything that's not holy. Because the word sanctification relates to the word holy in the New Testament. It means we've been separated unto God. And there is, to be clear, there is a, uh, a positional once-for-all aspect of sanctification too. But we're talking here more about the dispositional aspect of sanctification. That's the lifelong aspect of sanctification. Where all the negative things in our being, all the negative attachments that we have, our love of the world, all these things are being uh, taken away so that we're separated and holy unto God. And once we have that uh, that experience of being separated unto God, that's when God imparts his life and his nature into our being. And that's transformation. And that's why these two go together so much. Sanctification is the negative aspect of what's going on today in our being, but there's a positive aspect too that we need to know about. And that's transformation. That's that divine element being added into our being that makes us a different person and prepares us for the final step in salvation, final steps, which are glorification and confirmation. And so uh, that'll do it for this segment. So uh, in the next segment, we're going to bring on Brother Rex Beck, dear brother from Cleveland Heights, Ohio. And we're going to really begin to look at now what transformation is in itself and what the Greek word shows us about this word. It's really something. Uh, so we're looking forward to talking to Rex, and we will be back uh, on the other side of the break. This program is being brought to you in connection with our website, thechristianfaith.org, to help address the need for a healthy word of ministry among God's children today. In the Old Testament, the Lord tells us through the prophet Hosea, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Our prayer is that the Lord, by his mercy, may use the christianfaith.org website and the Christian Faith Radio Hour to help believers in Christ grow in their knowledge both of our Savior and of our faith in him, so that we may stand more firmly for the Lord and for his purpose in these dark times. Visit us online for articles on the Bible and the Christian life and to sign up for our e-letter dealing with various biblical topics. To listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website or directly on iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions or comments about what you've heard on the Christian Faith Radio Hour or on our website, or about the Christian faith in general, send us a note at questions at thechristianfaith.org. Hello, and welcome back to the Christian Faith uh, Radio Hour. And now we're going to bring Rex online. Uh, Rex, are you already there? Rex? Yes. Hi, Dave. Oh, hey, Rex. Yeah, great. Okay. As I, say, as I keep having, you know, it's taking me a while to figure out how this system works. So uh, I'm never quite sure if I've gotten it right. But uh, I have the, the tech here. He's helping us, and uh, thank the Lord for that. So, uh, 
So, yeah, so um, Rex is a brother I've, I've known for a number of years. He serves the Lord in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, and, and cares for the church there and a number of saints. And uh, uh, he's also the author of a number of books. And Rex, I was looking at uh, your book, Isaiah's Song, Isaiah's Song last night. And uh, actually, uh, it touches on, I was looking at the section on Isaiah 28 through 35 and talks a little bit about how uh, God was bringing Israel through some situations to help them realize their how they needed to depend on him. And I thought that really uh, was very much going along with what we've been talking about this morning, that, as, as I said, like in the experience of Peter, he had to go through some experiences where he really uh, lost his self-confidence and self-trust before he really began to experience the transformation. Anyway, I just thought that was a, was very good. So so I, if you have any thoughts about that or what, what we've shared yeah. already on the program, please uh, Oh, that, uh, yeah. That's right, Dave, and I'm I'm glad you brought up that section in um, Isaiah 28 through 35 uh, because it shows that Israel was going through a, a process. It was sometimes a messy process where they yeah. tried to trust in Egypt, it didn't work, and eventually they were brought to trust in hmm. God alone. And it's interesting that in that section is where... Um, Christ as the cornerstone hmm. is introduced. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, yeah. you know, so Israel was brought to trust in that stone. And uh, just like you mentioned about uh, Peter becoming a stone and saying that we are all stones, and I yes. think uh, yeah. living stones. And I think that is a great example of the transformation process where we are you know, start off as a, a a natural person interacting with God in a very objective, somewhat outward way, and through His work, He brings us to something more inward, yeah. something Amen. more stable, something like a stone. Amen. Amen, Rex. That's true. You know, I, yeah, I was I didn't think about this before, but uh, in Daniel twelve, and the, and the Old Testament is pretty consistent about this. It uh, the angels asking. When, how long these things are going to be? All the prophecies in Daniel until it's completed. And in Daniel twelve, uh, uh, verse uh, seven, he says it's going to go on briefly. He says until they finish shattering the power of the holy people, and it's one of the verses in the New Testament that talk about in the Old Testament rather talk about times, times, and half a time. So it's talking about the end times, the great tribulation. But the purpose of that is the shattering of the power of the holy people. And the, the old thing, there's several places that refer to that in the Old Testament. So it's that same principle. It's that God has to break down our power to bring us into what he wants us to be. And uh, That's right. It's just, just a very basic principle. You just, and you see that in Israel as a whole, but you also see it in our individual life. And uh, it's, it's not easy, right, to go through that process, as I'm sure, as I'm sure you, you can attest. And uh, but that, the, That's right. And I think that is the wonder of transformation like you're talking about today that is it's really one of the most precious experiences mm. in the christian life yeah. and um it is a an experience where god's you know work through his holy spirit actually changes our inward nature mm. wow and um because it's an experience we have to grow into that and uh, mm. part of that growth process is realizing um, when we're not relying on him, when we're not trusting him, yeah. and when we are, you know, trusting in our old nature, and we come to a point where we realize that 
does not work anymore. <laughs> and we yeah. uh, can look more to the Lord and allow the Spirit to work in us more and actually create a change in our nature. Mm-hmm. And on the basis of that changed inward nature, yeah. our outward behavior, our outward actions change and that is a picture yeah. of transformation. Amen. Yeah, and it, that's really precious. And it just uh, a lot of Christians really don't understand, and it's not easy to understand. We don't understand a lot of times what God is doing in our life, but He's bringing us through these experiences so He can transform us. And it's, but if the frustration is, and, and if you have this concept that God wants me to please Him by living a certain kind of life, in a sense, that's it, true, right? But it, the real meaning of that is we are allowing Christ to to live in us and be uh, expressed through us. That's what God is really at, and why He brings us through these experiences. But we we were, right. we were talking about uh, yeah about transformation about the Word itself yesterday uh, a couple of days ago I guess it was Rex and uh, yeah really something and then and, and so I, if you had uh, because we need to eventually have to come to the, like this morning I was sharing about trying to give us some examples. Of transformation to give a general idea, but eventually we have to consider what this word really means uh, in the New Testament yeah. and how it's used in the New Testament to really understand what transformation really is. So sure, and I appreciated your two examples of the petrified wood and hmm. caterpillar, which correspond very well to the Greek word uh, that is used in the New Testament for transformation. The Greek word uh, translated transformation is metamorpho where, and it might sound very similar to our English word metamorphosis, right. which is where that English word is derived. Right. And it means uh, a change in nature. Hmm. And it's composed of two different words, meta, which indicates change, that's the prefix of the word, and morphe is the root of the second word. Hmm. And uh, that means a nature. So hmm. if you put this word together, it is literally a change in nature. Hmm. And this is a very different concept in the Christian life uh, for what it means to change. You know, for instance, um, uh, you know, if you ask a Christian who has grown in Christ, why they don't engage in certain activities that they used to enjoy or maybe used to regret. <laughs> you know, they they might not say, it's because I got a new set of rules. That would be kind of like an, an old way of thinking. Right. But a metamorphosis or metamorpho way of understanding why I don't engage in those old activities mm. is this. My nature has changed. God has changed my nature. I have metamorpho. Mm. I have been transformed. And those old activities that correspond to the world, those old things that correspond to the world, they're no longer according to my inward nature. Mm. And so why don't I engage in those old things, or why don't I engage in those things that I used to regret? It's because God has actually changed my nature. I don't enjoy them anymore. Yeah. I don't. They don't fit. Why? Because the nature, the inward reality of who I am has been changed. And then my behavior corresponds with yeah. that. 
that is a picture of this Greek word, meta, metamorpho. So you could say, we need to have, I like the way you put that, Rex, we need to have a metamorphic view of how the Lord changes us. In contrast, I'm not sure what, right. what you would call it, uh, a willful kind of change. Uh, That's right. That's I, mean, right. I, I don't want to give That's the impression right. that we don't uh, exercise our will. We need to really exercise our will in the Christian life. But in, in, in the respect of trying to uh, uh, please God in ourselves, that's, that becomes willful, something apart from God. So that kind of change doesn't work. And it's never permanent. And we, we talked about, I was talking about this with Joe, Brother Joe uh, Pope last week about uh, the example of a monkey. You can, you can dress up a monkey. Uh, and, it's, and we laugh at that because he rides, rides around on a bike, but eventually, you know, after the show's over, he goes back to being a monkey again. It's just, and that's mm-hmm. trying to live the Christian life apart from that metamorphic change. It's just futile and very, very frustrating. So, yeah, amen. Yeah, maybe one of the better comparisons that brings out that point, Dave, is uh, another Greek word. It's metaschematizo. Uh, okay. And that right. is... Uh, it's the same kind of form as metamorpho, and uh, but instead of the root morphe, it is the root schema, and um, you know that other Greek word metaschematizo, it's used to um, as translated as disguise, and yeah. uh, you know so it means it there can be a form that is seen on the outside, but it's right. not a true inward, um, you know, uh, nature that is being expressed. So, for instance, uh, false apostles can disguise themselves as true, or even Satan can disguise himself as the angel, as an angel of light. That's from 2 Corinthians 11, 13 and 14. And um, that is a picture where what is going on in the outside is not representative of what is the true nature on the inside. Mm. And the interesting thing about this word uh, metamorpho, which is transform or metamorphosis, where we get the metamorphosis, is that it's never used in the New Testament to denote anything of falseness, anything of deceit, Mm. or anything Mm. of disguise. Mm. So it is used to um, denote something that's true and true, very true. It's a true change in nature that becomes expressed in the outward actions, activities, attitudes, and then God would say that is transformation. Yeah. Um, One illustration is even the Lord Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, we say the Mount of Transfiguration, Um, uh, actually when um, uh, this is described in Matthew and in Mark, uh, those evangelists use the word metamorpho, they use the word which would be translated transform, uh, where, uh, you know, Jesus' face shone like the sun, his uh, garments became uh, brilliant white, and what happened there was there was a little unveiling of what his true nature was, which is, you know, a God, yes. God in glory, <laughs> his nature of Amen. God in glory. Yeah. Then that was brought out into full view, and Peter could see it, Amen. the other apostles that were with him could see it, yeah. 
And um, that is, I think, a, a wonderful picture of transformation. So you see a Christian who has grown in life, and, you know, as they're growing, they just don't engage in that old activity anymore. And you wonder, what just happened? Well, it's kind of like what happened with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. (laughs) You know, you kind of see God's work in them in evidence, Hmm. and it's noticeable, and it's seen. And uh, you may say, wow, that Christian is not interested in in uh, going to the bar and getting drunk anymore, <laughs> or yeah. that Christian cannot lose their temper that easily. Oh, and you wonder, well, did they just get some more rules and figure out how to follow the rules? And as soon as the rules, uh, as soon as no one's looking, they will go back to doing the same thing. If that's the case, that's not transformation. But if you realize there's something of God's work inside of them to change their nature, yeah. And because of that change of nature, there's an expression of that change. Then we have what is called transformation, and that is the real work of God in this state. Amen. And that's a real joy to see when you see that in a believer, any believer. You know, you see that maybe sometimes it seems like uh, you see a more rapid change in in the early stages of the Christian life, and then later on it just seems more slow and deliberate. That's that's often the case, I guess, yeah, but... I you know we were I think we were talking about this last week on the program. I've I, I've been getting into this matter. I, one reason why I just think Christians don't have a proper concept of transformation is because of the way that word is handled in the different English versions. It's just yeah, you know, my feeling is just terrible. I mean, I I I just you said to shake your head because like you were saying in in uh, Matthew and Mark, the word there is metamorpho. And that word is only used yes. four times in the New Testament, and it's only used in relation to Christ and the believers. And and the other word you were talking about, which I I can't, how, how metas, metas, metas <laughs> Okay, I, I I know I I, would, I don't want to try it. So, uh, but that word is only used in relation. Uh, well, for the most part, it's used in relation to Satan and his workers, like you say in Second Corinthians chapter eleven, thirteen through fifteen. Uh, there's one reference in second in first Corinthians seven where it's more of a uh, literary reference Paul says I, I've transfigured these uh, symbols to Paul uh, myself and Barnabas uh, and it's used yeah. in uh, uh, Philippians three is it verse 20 21 uh, where That's it's talking right. for, for the believers for That's the believers right. are, for right. in relation to our fallen body so it's not something that's ever used in relation to this 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 e- eternal unchangeable nature. Uh, that so you have to separate out, and the tra- translations just don't. I mean, the New King James, uh, in in Second and even Darby in Second Corinthians eleven, they use this word transform. But you have to, if you keep them separate, yeah. and you realize in Matthew and Mark, the proper way to translate that word is transform. Then you tie it together with what Paul says uh, in Romans twelve that you know we need to yeah. be transformed by the renewing by, by the renewing of our mind. So. We yeah. see, you know, oh, I, Matthew and, and Mark and Luke give me a picture of what this transformation is outwardly that I need to go through inwardly to be ready to meet the Lord. That's right. And, and That's I, right. I, I, like I said last week on the program, I, for a long time I didn't realize those were the same thing in Matthew and in, in, in the Gospels and in Romans and Second Corinthians 3.18. It's using that same word. And it's, so I just, it's very frustrating. And I, I know why they translated it that way. It was because it was a temporary 
uh, change in the Lord's being, but it was still something real. And so it really should be translated there as, as transformed. But uh, uh, to me, that makes a big difference. When you see that, then you begin to, you just tie it together, the experience the Lord had with the experience that we as believers are also supposed to have. Praise the Lord. That's right. Yeah, I think it's very helpful to, um, um, at least, you know, this is where it's very helpful to know the original language, because mm. I think that that brings out that that feature of, you yeah. know, like just the comparison of what happened on um, the mount to the Lord, uh, with the Lord, as being, you know, a picture of what yes. the believers go through. Mm. And, um, and I think it's also very helpful to know the original language and know that, you know, um, there's also a word for uh, an outward change that is false, you know, a kind of a disguise or, you know, something like that. And uh, it gives us more light on um, what exactly uh, is the process yeah. that a believer goes through. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and you made up this, um, you, you made this observation that, Sometimes in the early phases of or stages of a believer's life, that transformation may be easier to see, you know, because right. it's uh, maybe some more uh, dramatic, obvious yeah. things, right. you know, dramatic things. And um, then, uh, you know, later uh, we may not have as many dramatic things in our lives to, um, you know, to, to touch, but um, it doesn't stop. The transformation doesn't stop. It's and a deeper it, work, um, yeah. Right. That's right. And I think one of the, you know, the main verses of transformation, as you mentioned, this word metamorpho is only mentioned four times. It's right. uh, two in reference to Jesus um, on the Mount of Transfiguration, and then one in Romans about, um, you know, we're being trans be transformed by the renewing of the mind. And then right. the, the fourth one is in Second uh, Corinthians, where uh, there's a wonderful picture, which I think is is very, you know, it illustrates so well how this transformation takes place, right. because uh, that verse says, um, you know, we with unveiled face, um, uh, beholding, beholding yeah. the glory of the Lord, Amen. are being transformed wow. into the same image. Hmm. And then it, it uh, you know, it concludes, this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we mm. see that, you know, the, first of all, that, that process of transformation is passive in this verse. Mm. Um, we don't, you know, we don't try to change ourselves mm. um, uh, in, this, in this view of transformation. Rather, what is the believer's job here? I, I just want to have an unveiled face and I'm beholding the yeah. glory of the Lord. And, uh, and I think... This may be easier to do as a as a young new believer because everything's so fresh. Mm -hmm. And then the challenge for the more seasoned believer is: Can I behold in a deeper way? Yeah. And can I remain beholding? And can I have a beholding in my life that goes that mm -hmm. goes way beyond what I have seen before? And the more that beholding happens the more the work of the Spirit is upon me, and I'm transformed into His image. And, um, and I think that's the, the challenge for Amen. the seasoned believer, yeah. to remain on the transformation railway, <laughs> in oh, a sense. Yeah. And that is, uh, that is accomplished through 
deeper and deeper beholding yeah. of the Lord. Amen. Well, we, you know, we really got on this matter of transformation because uh, we wanted to impress believers as we're just starting out with this program, how important it is to be in the Word. And in, in the context of 2 Corinthians 3, and I, again, I didn't realize this so much until I uh, really got into this, uh, the context there is we're beholding Christ in the Word, right? Whenever the heart turns yeah. to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Uh, you know, in, yeah. but, but spending time with Christ, that's, that's the real key. Uh, spending yeah. time with the Lord in prayer, spending time uh, with the Lord in the Word. In uh, Luke, it's really something. Luke doesn't use the word transfiguration, but he says as Jesus was praying, that's when he got transfigured. And so it, it, it's that principle, spending time with the Lord. I, I love Second Peter uh, yeah. 4 and 5 because it says it's as we come to Christ, we become living stones. That's when we get transformed. You, you, yeah. It's so important to have and develop that relationship with Christ in prayer and in the Word in, in a daily and, and consistent way. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I, uh, I I do want to encourage uh, the listeners a little bit, Rex, because uh, you know you know Greek and uh, I I don't. I have to uh, <laughs> keep confessing that. But in, uh, in in fact, I messed up. Well, uh, I messed up last week. I was talking about Philippians two seven, and I got something wrong because I was looking at this word form. Uh, two seven uses the word form and likeness, and I didn't see. I got you know I did a brain cramp when I was here on the air, and I uh, I missed it, so I misspoke about Philippians two seven. So I apologize for that. But not knowing Greek, you can still come to the tools, and we have wonderful tools today sure. that make it possible uh, to really uh, uh, look at these Greek words and, and dig into them a little bit. So even if you don't know Greek, you can still spend some time in the tools. And like you say, it's very important to do that to get a kind of a deeper grasp of the of the meaning of these words. But the important thing is to behold behold the Lord in the Word. So, Rex, uh, we're just about, about out of time here. I really appreciate your coming on the program and uh, and, and hope we can have you on again Great before to be with you, you, Dave, and yeah. to share about this uh, Very... precious experience of transformation. Yeah. Amen, Rex. Thank you, Rex, this so much. It's a real, a real privilege of Christian. Amen. Really so. Really so. What a blessing. Thank you, brother. Amen. And Lord willing, we'll talk to you again soon. Amen. Amen, Rex. Bye-bye. Uh -huh. Bye now. You've been listening to the Christian Faith Radio Hour, which is a production of our website, thechristianfaith.org. To send us questions or comments about this program, send us an email at questions at thechristianfaith.org. And to listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website or directly on iTunes or Spotify.